we had financial institutions say they weren't going to accept high appraisals in Huff. That's classic redlining. No, I'm about to say redlining. Here you go with that. And that was that was in this decade. Right, right. But did you find a bank? Yeah, that's the question. Because I know from some commercial development right now, there is no banks up here that's lending any commercial dollars in Cleveland. Now, people don't understand that, but it's true. If you have a commercial building, you can't walk into Citizens Bank. You can't go into Key Bank. You can't go into none of these banks and say, give me a million and a half dollar loan to do anything. They don't do it. Ladies and gentlemen, you're rocking with a goat. Ken Dow giving you motivation for growth. Two toes down, he keep it realer than most. He do it for the culture, that's always the goal. This is Strategic Moves with Ken Dow. This is Strategic Moves with Ken Dow. What's up, everybody? You tuned in to another episode of Strategic Moves. I'm your host, Ken Dow. This is a place where we bring art, culture, politics, and business all together, and we do it every Sunday right here on this channel. Today, I was talking to a friend of mine about some of the things that's going on in our community. She has been a civic leader in our community. She's been an activist, and now she's a developer. And we're going to talk to her about development and some future development that may be going on here in the city of Cleveland. So. If this is a place that you'd be interested in hearing more about that, please, I want you to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and tune in to our next episode. So right now, everybody give a warm welcome to our special guest here today, none other than Ms. Sheila Wright. She is the president and owner of Frontline Development. Sheila Wright. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for having me here. All right. So I want to thank you for coming to our studio today. Thanks for dropping by and spending some time to talk with us. As I told everybody, you've been a activists in our community, you've been a civic leader in our community, working on several boards and representing the NAACP and other organizations in our community. And you've been a mother, you're a mother right now, you ain't been a mother, you're still a mother, raising your daughter here, and you're doing some development now also. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but in true nature of our show, can't come on this show until you tell everybody where you're from. We got this thing in Cleveland where we got to know where you're from before we can find out where you're at. So where are you from? You grew up here in Cleveland, or are you a native of Cleveland? Are you snuck in the back door? Where are you from? So I am a native Clevelander. I've been here all my life, and I was born and raised in Glenville. Ah, see, there it is. Another one. There's another one. It's so surprising to me, and I've been really trying to stretch this out, but it seems like everywhere I go, it seems like they come right back, circle back around. Glenville. So tell me, where in Glenville you grew up at? So I grew up on 123rd in St. Clair, okay. right across from a school that's no longer there, but it was called Hazeldale School. Yeah. Okay. So I live right across the street from that school, and that's where I was born and mm-hmm. grew up most of my life. Yeah, so you grew up your mom, dad? My parents divorced it, too, like a lot of parents when mm-hmm. I was two years old. So I grew up with mostly my mother and her family mm-hmm. lived in a home that my grandfather owned. Okay. And my mother worked at the steel mill. Mm-hmm. Which one, LTV? She, yep. It initially was JNL. Okay. And then when it merged, it was LTV. Yep. You know, Meredith Turner, her mom worked at LTV still too. They might know each other. They might other. knew each they other. They might know each other. I, 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 and retired from there and everything. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how my mom took care of me. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's just you, your mom, or you, brothers, sisters? No, it's just me. Wow. Yep. 
weird fact. I'm a twinless twin. Yeah. A twinless twin. Now, how you, what you mean by a twinless twin? I mean, my twin brother, he did not make it. Oh, ah, so you were twins. I was a twin. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> so it was you, your mom, y'all grew up on 120th. So what time of the year was that? Like when you went to Glenville? Now you want me yeah, to Yeah, we're going to age you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why we're here because our age put us <laughs> in a position where now we can start educating other folks about it. Let's just say I am part of Generation X. I was born in the 70s. I'll leave it at that. That's good. So I went to Hazeldale School, mm -hmm. and I can't remember what year they started busing here in Cleveland, mm -hmm. but went to Hazeldale School, and then they kind of shipped me out of Hazeldale, and I went to Henry W. Longfellow. Okay. But yeah, so... My mom, we lived in a duplex. Okay. My mom lived downstairs and my grandparents lived upstairs. Oh, okay. And my uncles uh, were uh, pretty notorious in the neighborhood. Oh, so cool. I was well protected okay. in the community. Excellent. And, uh, a little sheltered, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Really? Um, so you wouldn't, out, you wouldn't hang it outside? No. Sheila my, was that girl looking out the window. Everybody like, that's that girl sitting yeah, in the house. Yeah, place. my family would laugh at me and, and be like, remember you couldn't. Come off the porch. You had to read. All you could do was read books. So, right. My mother says to this day, she she's like, I think I did okay. You know? Well, you know, and there were some people we grew up that were like that. Right, there, right. We, we, it was us who lives walk down the street right, all right. the time, raising all kinds of hell. And it was the you wants to be like that girl never come off the porch. Over right, right. She just sit over there and I heard she read a whole day. Yep, yeah. that's all she do. That's you know? all I was allowed. To but do. and what's interesting about that is that later on in life, you run into that person, you'd be like. Oh, that was that girl. Right. We used to on the porch right. all right. day, and we used to just swap out. I'm asking the for a job. Right. <laughs> so, right. That's interesting. So you grew up there. What high school you went to then? So I went to Shaw High School. That ah, now that's interesting. I know, I know. I okay. went to Shaw High School at the time because I was kind of shepherding back and forth between my mother and my father. Okay. My, my father lived in East Cleveland. Okay. So I went to Shaw High School, and then, you know, I uh, met a very special boy. Hmm. Well, I thought he was special at the time. Okay. You know, he's a good guy. Now, he was special, I bet. He was special. <laughs> and like a lot of young women, I got pregnant in high school. Really? Mm -hmm. okay. I got pregnant with my oldest daughter in high school. And it's interesting because my business partner and I very, have very similar paths. And we okay. didn't know each other. So I had my daughter at 17. Really? Mm -hmm. okay. And then I left and went to DePaul School for Girls was with Catholic Charities. Okay. And then when I came out of DePaul, I went to Glenville. Interesting. My yeah. So I had a very... So you went away for school because you was pregnant. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At that time, and I, I don't think they forced people out, but it was an option. You know, it was that thing back then. Like, when you got pregnant in school back then, it was like, ooh, she's pregnant. Yep. And they actually had a school for pregnant girls. Yep. And it's just so funny how life is so circular. Mm -hmm. When I was in law school, I worked for a program called Moms First. Mm -hmm. And my caseload were teen mothers. Interesting. It's so, it's That's just, crazy. yeah, it, it was, That's it was wild. something, but a lot of different circumstances than what I was dealing with when I was pregnant, you know, and it taught me a lot. I thought I was going to Help them, but they showed they, me a lot. Showed you a lot, oh, and, yeah. and they don't have places like DePaul no more. I don't think, do they? For I don't, for girls I don't like know that. if they have places like DePaul. I will say that was one of the things that began to really embed my understanding around policy, if you will, because to my knowledge, there wasn't a great support system to help girls who left 
mainstream school Mm -hmm. to have a baby and transition back into the classroom. Interesting. Yeah. So when I was working for Moms First, I saw a lot of bright Mm -hmm. girls who had just had various backgrounds. There's many reasons why a girl gets pregnant early, right? Mm -hmm. But they have a lot of potential, but they weren't able to really exercise that at that time because there were so many barriers to getting back into mainstream school, working closely with the county at that time, you know, if they received cash assistance, if their mothers did, meaning the grandmother of the baby, they couldn't get vouchers for daycare. It opened my eyes to a lot. I mean, I was very fortunate, Mm -hmm. even as a teen mother, and I left high school. Mm. So I left high school my senior year. Oh, after you got back. Yep. So you got back and said, I'm leaving again. I'm leaving it. Yep. When I came back to Glenville, my first day of high school, I left to go nurse my daughter. Mm -hmm. And the people that was watching her, she was a newborn. They Mm -hmm. didn't take good Mm -hmm. care of her. Okay. And in my 17-year-old mind, particularly because of things I have experienced, Mm -hmm. I just had one job at that point was to take care of her. So I, I didn't go back to school at that time. And my mother, who's all about education, didn't know. So for about a year, she thought I was going to school. I was working part-time. I go to the library with my baby. Hmm. She had no idea I wasn't going to school. Wow. Wow. And that wasn't a 17-year-old mind. That was really a, a mother's nature of saying, hey, I got to take care of my daughter. I mean, you know. 17 is also impulsive. I only had a year to go. I could have just finished. But you had an obligation that couldn't wait. I mean, mean, obviously it couldn't wait, right? So you decide that I'm done with that. What made you go back or how did you get back? School? Yeah. So I have two daughters, Mm -hmm. but my oldest daughter is where a lot of this centers around. Mm -hmm. And I remember I started looking around based on things that I had been exposed to. My mother always made sure she exposed me to different kinds of culture and Mm -hmm. and just to open my mind up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wanted this for my daughter, but I, I think intuitively I understood I was limited, you know, and so I started talking to women that I would see out in the community. Any Mm -hmm. woman that looked like she was well put together, Mm. professional. I would talk to these women and I would say, what made a difference in your life? And they would talk to me. Mm -hmm. And this one woman said, why are you asking these questions? And I said, well, I want something to model my daughter for. And she said, well, you know, the first role model in her life is you. Mm. And that's when a light bulb went. And she said, statistically, children very rarely do much further than their parents. So if you want her to aim high, you have to set the bar. And I began to talk to my daughter. She's like in kindergarten about school and going Mm -hmm. to college. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she said, mommy, why don't you go to school? Really? And I said, right. Why don't I? And Mm -hmm. I went, took my GED test, passed Mm -hmm. it with flying colors, Mm -hmm. went to Tri-C and that was it. So you started out old Tri-C. You and Frank Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a C. Frank Jackson walking down the hall. Your story almost close to him. Yeah. You know, what you think about it, because I listen to him, he, he, he was pretty much, he went through the military, though. But back then, that's what men did. Yep. Boys who didn't do well in school because 
He said he didn't do well in high school. He said he didn't graduate high school like 1920. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, geez, they let you stay in there that long. Right. But he said it took him a while to get out of there. And then from there, he went straight to the military. Okay. Then out of the military, then it was like, I'm got back home. What I do next? He decided I'll go to Tri-C. And from there, I'm saying y'all stories get similar because then what happens from there, I guess. I went to Tri-C yeah. and earned a scholarship to Cleveland State. Mm -hmm. And then I went to law school and yeah, then I went and got my MBA. And Now you don't move though. You got your MBA and then graduated, got your law degree. I remember you were studying to get your law degree and everything. And, and, and also, I, I do know this as a friend. I do know that uh, just over the years of knowing you, one of the things that you have done successfully is that you were really working hard to raise your daughters and to try to make sure they got the best education. And they went to Laurel, right? They went to Laurel. Yeah, school. I remember going to Laurel because you used to complain about that damn tuition. Just <laughs> trying to make money to keep them working and see she like, had second jobs and everything. I mean, people just don't understand. It was tough, man. Huh. And I understand. And I saw you going through that process to get to where you are. So, you know, kudos to all of that. And you'd have made it to where you are today. So let's talk a little bit more now about what you're doing now, because <laughs> people knew that you were working with the Ratner Foundation. Uh, Mr. Ratner then became a brand of his own that nobody even know what he does. It's just like you work for Albert Ratner and whatever Albert Ratner does, that's what he does, right? So tell us, for those who don't know who Albert Ratner is, maybe let's start <laughs> off with that and then tell us what do you do for the nurse uh, over at that organization and the name of that organization? Yeah. So the name of the organization is the Good Community Foundation. Okay. I'm the president of the organization. And it was really birthed out of work that Albert and I were doing. I met him in 2009. Mm -hmm. And when we met, he said to me, I have 12 stints in my heart. Jeez. And today you've given me a reason to live again. Mm. And he said, you and I are going to make history. And he started putting me on planes and taking me to different places and just started working in terms of policy. And when I left the NAACP, he said, why don't we formally put something together for you to do this work? And it, it's not something that I can fit neatly in a resume. Mm -hmm. I always say it's kind of like Olivia Pope without the murder, mm -hmm. you know. Maybe. No, but um, <laughs> right. But seriously, no, it's really being able to go into various situations, whether it's an organization, whether it's supporting an effort like getting rid of payday lending, whether That's it's gonna say. early childhood. Well, why don't you give us an example? Give us an example of something you worked on that yeah. you could say. Then we could say, yeah, this yeah. is my example. Of what yeah. Because so, I know, but yeah. again, everybody else is like, she ain't saying what right. she do. No, no. Give us an example. <laughs> So, for example, at the time, Albert had a center that he funded at Cleveland State University called the Center for Population Dynamics. Okay. And that center did a lot of research around population, migration patterns, housing. And he began to look at the city of Cleveland and he said, listen, based on these numbers and based just simply on the census track, mm -hmm. Cleveland Northeast Ohio is going to become more and more black. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, no kidding. And so what he said, well, because of who I am and I'm not a black person, right? I cannot show up in a space to say what we need to do to be supportive because black people have their own leadership. Mm -hmm. They don't need leaders, mm -hmm. but I can be an ally. Mm -hmm. And so he began to 
ask the question, who is preparing Black leadership to run Northeast Ohio? He said, Sheila, based on these numbers, the Cleveland Foundation, Key Bank Foundation, Greater Cleveland Partnership, these are places that are going to be ran by Black people because of the way the numbers are going. Mm -hmm. He said, where are Black people getting an opportunity to lead? Where are they getting an opportunity? And so what he understood was he wanted to invest in a Black institution. Okay. Because a Black institution would provide an opportunity for Black people to lead mm -hmm. and work with the rest of the community, right? Okay. And so we focused on Caramu. Okay. And so we understood that Caramu not only provided an economic development opportunity in terms of Fairfax, mm -hmm. never mind what was going to happen with us in terms of placing Caramu where it should be in terms of its rightful place in the arts district, district right? right? But also this is an opportunity to bring on leadership, to support an institution that will choose its own leadership. So Al Ratner is not sitting up choosing board members right. in Caramu, right. but he knew if he got behind Caramu, along with others, Vanessa Whiting, it wasn't just Albert, mm -hmm. George Forbes, mm -hmm. and, I mean, so many people got behind this institution, but what my work involved was really around trying to make sure that we reconstituted the board, that the organization got in front of where it needed to in terms of the institutions, mm -hmm. and to begin to do this work to fortify it and make sure this institution was strong so that people who look like me could go in and lead in that space and then go off and do what? Lead a greater Cleveland partnership. And that's just one institution, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, we also worked against payday lending, mm -hmm. uh, the bill to cut payday lending. I mean, we travel back and forth between Columbus so often. We set up something called the 3C Alliance between Columbus and Cincinnati and work with leaders to get rid of those payday lenders and to change the law in Ohio. I mean, those are just two things that I'm very proud of. The CCMP that rolled out of the state, the, the Comprehensive Case Management Program, mm -hmm. that was something that we discussed and designed on a short flight with Governor Kasich. Wow. You know, and so it's those kind of opportunities to be able to sit and influence and offer perspective mm -hmm. and make sure there's a voice at the table who will speak truth to power. And that is an experience that has forever changed how I operate. You know, when I first started working for Albert, two things happened. He hired me in 2015 to run his foundation. Mm. So when he hired me to run his foundation, up until that point, I had been calling him Mr. Ratner. Okay. And he said, you know, um, please stop calling me that. No one's going to believe you're talking to me. Mm. And I said, okay. When I first started working for him, I came in with all my little clipboards and I'm, here's my, you know, my key performance indicator is the show right. I'm doing. And he said, what are you doing? I'm dyslexic. Why are you bringing me paper? Right. And I said, well, I want to show what I'm doing. And he said, listen, you're an executive. I will never tell you what to do. The only thing I'm going to do is present you with problems mm -hmm. and give you the cover of them. Exactly. That was one. Other thing he said was after I had been working for him formally for about a year, he called me in his office. He said, shut the door. He never dresses you down. I said, what's going on? And he said, I noticed in the last few meetings you were nodding your head as I was speaking. I said, okay. And he said, you were agreeing with me? And I said, well, I wasn't disagreeing with you. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, listen, if you and I think just alike, one of us isn't necessary. <laughs> That's deep. 
Yeah. Hey, so I, he I feel all me. of that. He yes. Now he says he rules the day. Right. He encouraged me to fight back with all him. Right, right. But it was an eye opener for me. Yeah. And so that kind of freedom mm -hmm. to speak truth to power. Right. And not just him. Mm -hmm. Uh, is something that it's hard to go back in a box once you've experienced that. Oh, no, it, it's really hard. And I guess that's one of the biggest things about working for a guy that's a true influencer yeah. because there's people out here who like to throw that word around these days. Oh, I'm an influencer. I'm this, I'm that. <laughs> like, oh, who the hell are you influencing? You know, hell. But I guess to sum it up, he's the influencer. He's the type of person that you would want on a board if you was going to solve any problems. I know for years he helped raise money and stuff for organizations as well as issues that affect the city and the county. So yeah. he's the type of person that when he calls, you're going to answer. That's you know, right. one of my biggest selling points I tell consultants or most of my clients when uh, my last selling point, if you're going to hire a consultant, you at least want somebody that when people call, they return their call. call, man. You know, so <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. So whether you like it or not, run a call. Me. Gonna, so, I'm going to call him back and see what yes. he wants. He may have something or he may not, but I need to at least see. <laughs> and, and that's the point. And Mr. Ratner is one of these people that if you see his name on it, like, oh, my God. Okay. So right. that's a really good thing. <laughs> so I see you guys did good work with that. And you've been working with him for years and yeah. trying to get projects done. And then you decide you want to do some development of your own now. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the Development Corporation Frontline Development. That's right. Is the name of your company? Is you by yourself? You with partners or what's oh, the deal? Yeah. So I have a partner again who I, it's so funny. Our lives were very parallel mm -hmm. and Angela Th Bennett. Okay. Who was oh. recently poached by the Biden oh, administration. Yes. So yes. I always tell her President Biden and I are beefing because yes. she's so busy right. right now. Right. But yeah. And it's so interesting. We both were at Shaw. Didn't know each other. Really? Both hey, that's just right. She did go to Shaw. We both had our daughters at 17. Wow. Her daughter went to HB. Mine went to Laurel. Wow. Both sent our daughters to Spelman. You know what? You're right. You guys, you, I was just thinking, but y'all do have a similar story. We have a similar story. And we didn't know one another. People kept saying, you got to meet her. You got to meet her. Y'all were there at the same time? We are the same age. We were. So y'all was at show at the same time? Pregnant. Didn't know each other. Wow. And so the person who brought us together was Albert. So y'all probably didn't know each other because y'all both was pregnant and y'all right. both were probably going. <laughs> right. Out of our minds. Right. And so Albert is who brought us together. Really? I was working for him in one capacity mm -hmm. and she was working for him in another capacity, neither officially. So we neither huh. were on his payroll, but he had us doing things. Right. He's who brought us together. Really? And so, yeah. So for us to now be developers, he's like, oh my God, what have I done? And she's wow. the, the same thing. Went to law school. Oh, you're right. Went you're got her MBA. MBA. That's yes. what I'm saying. Y'all's stories are similar. I yeah. mean, that that's truly wild. She's a little tougher than I am. Yeah, uh, Angela don't mess around. Yes, yeah, beautiful heart. But I wouldn't bet against her. Oh, I wouldn't bet against her. Yeah. <laughs> she, she gives hers a different way. Yes, she does. Yeah. Yes, she does. I'm glad I'm on her side. <laughs> right. Right. She's a very, very nice person. I like yes, Angela a lot. So you decide you wanted to get into this development, you and Angela, and you guys are going to do a project, I know, over in the Huff neighborhood. Yes, so. I'm going to ask the first question. Why development? What made the connection of you and development? So it's a few connection points, to be honest with you. So as you know, Albert and his family mm -hmm. were developers for years, mm -hmm. right? Forest mm -hmm. City Enterprises. Okay. They also just recently developed Van Aken. Mm -hmm. uh, they've done projects all over the country. The Van so, Aken thing is really nice. Yeah. And so 
I've always been kind of adjacent to it just because, you know, working closely with him and just being in that culture. Well, Angela, you know, she's a practicing attorney and I think she was chief of um, building a housing for East Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has structured a lot of deals with respect to development and her parents did a lot of rehab and development work when she was growing up. So that's just in her. Mm -hmm. And she had been saying for years, like, oh, we should be doing this. And I'm like, Angela, no, I'm doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's not really something that appeals to me. But what happened was, as we began to do that work with the Center for Population Dynamics, Mm -hmm. and we started looking at the migratory patterns of people and how they were moving in and out of cities and how much we needed housing in this region, that began to spark a lot of conversations. And we began to have conversations with developers. This is with Albert. Mm -hmm. And we started asking the questions, why is there no Black developers in this room? Oh, there are some here, but they just didn't know about them. And so these were conversations that were happening simultaneously at a time when I joined the Greater Cleveland Film Commission. And when I joined the Film Commission, I began to look at what Ohio's investment was into production And what I quickly discovered was we don't have infrastructure to support production here, right? Mm -hmm. And by infrastructure, I mean a soundstage. Correct. So we're having conversations about the need for housing. Mm -hmm. I'm actually looking house at the time for Mm -hmm. myself. Correct. Angela was looking for a house. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started down the path to better understand how to build a soundstage. And so Albert and Vanessa Whiting both got behind me and said, all right, if you're going to build a soundstage, let's do this right. And so we got consultants and I started doing feasibility work and pre-development work. And all of a sudden, development started appealing to me. So Angela saw this and said, now, listen, believe it or not, what you're doing with this soundstage is development. Correct. Why we need homes. We can't find homes in our price point. There's a TCLI study over in Huff right? Mm-hmm. It talks about plan to restructure Huff. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I was aware at the time that the Cleveland Foundation was planning to move to Huff. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, Sheila, why don't we build over there? And when she kind of laid it out for me and said, what you are doing with this soundstage is exactly what a developer does. You have a vision, you find a financing, you have the resources mm-hmm. and relationships to bring the deal forward. This is what it takes. And it just kind of formed organically out of that. So I'm working on building a soundstage, but then we started thinking about building homes and we talked to Carolyn Allen. Mm -hmm. Miss Allen explained to us what she and her friends did when she first moved to Cleveland. And we said, that's the model. So we started talking to our friends who needed homes Mm -hmm. and we decided we would go to the city and ask for some land and build homes. And we weren't going to build homes that were speculative. We were going to build homes based on buyers that we had already identified. So we didn't want to just build and hope we would sell. So how many houses are you going to build? From your mouth to God's ears, Ken, our plan is to bring on 300 units in that space. Now, let me tell you about that space. The city, and I believe Mayor Bibb supports this as well in terms of density. But at the time when we started, we were under the Jackson administration, mm-hmm. and the city really was pushing for density in the city of Cleveland. And so the 
amount of land that we have under contract with the city is about 4.7 acres. And with four acres, though, you can't get 300 homes on four acres, right? At 300 homes, but you can do different products. You can do a multifamily mm-hmm. products, which is apartment, mixed use, mixed mm-hmm. income, mm-hmm. Uh, first floor retail. So ours was a combination of single family homes, multifamily units, north and south corners of East 66th Street. Okay. We had those parcels. So that's where our two multifamilies will be. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about 70, 80 units. In each of those now, th- those are apartments or market rate housing. Are you no. going to sell these or are these are rentals? So it's going to be a combination. Mm-hmm. There will be people who can rent in this project. There will be people who will own homes in this project. Mm-hmm. There will be affordable units, meaning that it will mm-hmm. have variations of, of the AMI, the area median income. Mm-hmm. There will be some income restricted units. Mm-hmm. This is housing that we're building for workforce housing. We sit in the footprint of hospitals. Mm-hmm. We want to bring on apartments, single family homes, market rate homes, condos, mm-hmm. brownstones, accessory dwelling units. So we want to create a real neighborhood in that little, a very compact neighborhood. But if you go up, it allows you to have more density. So that's the plan. So let me get my hands around all this. No one told us at the time um, how ambitious Oh, that's very ambitious. I I had no idea you was trying 300. So that's 300 homes total is what you would like to get. 300 living spaces. Living spaces. Okay. Of different products. Of different products. That's right. Okay. Apartment, Mm -hmm. homes. And you already broke ground. We already broke ground with respect to the homes. The Mm -hmm. first home is Angela's home. So we said, she's our test case. (laughs) Oh, geez. Hey, you know what? That's a good, and are you building you one too? I'm building one too, yep. Well, hey, listen, sisters, (laughs) I'm going to tell y'all this, kid. That's called putting your money where your mouth is. Well, that's what we keep saying. Right. True enough, we've moved into the space of real estate development, right? right. And it's very sexy to talk about these two Black women who are developers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is where equity and equality comes into play because, you know, we don't have the balance sheet right. that other developers have. Right. And despite what so many people think, this is not Albert's project. Right. A lot of people were under the assumption that this was his project, but there's a reason. He said, if this is what you want to do, he supports us and he believes in what we're doing, but he understands we have to do this on our own, right? So let me ask you a question. You can answer if you want to or not. Did he like this or the soundstage better? So the work around the soundstage, I think, is what opened him up to me doing this because I wouldn't leave it alone. So when I first came and talked to him about the soundstage, Mm -hmm. so what happened was I brought some people to meet with Albert because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. My true essence is I'm a connector. I connect and then I get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And so I brought some people to meet with him who I knew if they could convince him and he got behind this, this would be a lot easier to Mm -hmm. do. And I've never heard him say this to me before, but he said, they don't care about the community. I don't know why you brought them to meet with me. They care about themselves. They don't care about the community. Interesting. And I was like, oh, you guys ruined the meeting with Albert. Mm-hmm. And I was just gearing up to say, let me figure out how I can still help them build this soundstage. And our good friend Wayne said, why don't you build it? Mm. And I said, what do you mean? You have to be a developer. And then he went through the list. 
let's talk about what a developer what a developer does. Right. He said, you can do this. So when I first took it to Albert, he said, you're nuts and get out of my office. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm doing it. So what are the average prices of these houses going to sell for? So the, we have two designs that we're bringing to market. The mm -hmm. first design is a 2,200 square foot home. Okay. At cost to build, because we've, we've eliminated our developer fee, essentially, okay. to get these homes. Mm -hmm. Cost to build, new construction, the 2,200, I think, is probably at around 469. Okay. Yep. The 1,800, the smaller house, probably at about... 369, something like that. I'll get you the numbers. And the reason why I'm not landing on an exact mm -hmm. number is because, and anyone in construction knows, oh, yeah. those price, numbers have tripping. changed yeah, um, really tremendously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because of so many mm -hmm. different things. Mm -hmm. And we had a major issue mm -hmm. with the homes, which is, I think, being addressed right now. You know, we talked to the city and I think the city's going to help us resolve this issue. But we had a major issue initially where we had to change the design because of the street access. Okay. And so having to change the design from a rear loading to side loading. Okay. Putting in driveways when we didn't initially plan for that. Those mm. are adding costs to the okay. home that we are not transferring to the buyer. You're not. Well, because I of the, we. with the price. So let me ask you, are, are you getting home assistance from the city and the tax abatements, anything you get with these? So we will get tax abatement. So uh -huh. because of the area that we in, we will get tax abatement. Okay. And I think right now the city is reviewing some other opportunities Opportunity. to be supportive. Yeah. You know, but the mayor has indicated that he's supportive of the project. So I think it's just part of it is just the nature of real estate development. Mm -hmm. And then some of it is just some of the things that comes with building in an area that has suffered disinvestment, right? So we were unfortunately dealing with some low appraisals mm -hmm. for our design because we had financial institutions say they weren't going to accept high appraisals in Huff. That's classic redlining. Oh, I'm about to say redlining. Here you go with that. And that was that was in this decade. Right, right. But did you find a bank? You know, that's the question. Because I know from some commercial development right now, there is no banks up here that's lending any commercial dollars in Cleveland. Now people don't understand that, but it's true. If you have a commercial building, you can't walk into Citizens Bank. You can't go into Key Bank. You can't go in none of these banks and say, "Give me a million and a half dollar loan to do anything." They don't do it. And the banks are not doing construction finance loans wow. for residential either. Whoa. For developers. Wow. No. So we were fortunate. Oh, for developers. Were, yeah. There yeah. were some conversations that were had. And mm -hmm. so we did get a bank who was worked with us in terms of the construction finance for the first few homes. Wow. But um, there's still challenges, right? There's the appraisal challenge. Yeah, I was about to say, you still got your challenge of the appraisal. The don't challenge. Right. We have, again, the access to the streets. Mm -hmm. uh, and these issues that many developers deal with, that people who do real estate projects deal with. The difference, though, Ken, and I think you can relate to this, because when you are a person of a particular group, let's say Black women, and it's not all Black women, or Black people, who come to a particular market in terms of business, we don't always come with a lot of resources. We don't come highly capitalized, right? Mm -hmm. People who raise money, venture capital, they know there's different rounds of funding, right? Mm -hmm. And some people talk about this 
friends and family raise. That's mm-hmm. the money you raise before you even show up to the market. Well, right. We don't typically have that. Right. 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 And so I, and people laugh at me, but I heard someone say this. I didn't make this up. When we have to take a risk. It's almost like the difference of how a chicken feeds you versus how a pig will feed you. Mm. A chicken can feed you an egg and she can go on about her business. Mm-hmm. But if a pig has to feed you, what must he do? He must put his body on the grill. Mm. <laughs> right? That's true. You know? Right. And so the risk every dime mm-hmm. is essential here. Right. We don't have money to waste. Mm-hmm. And so when the appraisals came low and we had to pay gap financing mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. construction, mm-hmm. that had to come from us. Yes. Yeah. You know, when we have to put in driveways because we don't have access to the street, mm-hmm. that comes to, from us. We're not translating that to, to the buyer. Do you know why? What did I tell you? You can't afford to. Well, and these homes are not speculative. Right. Our buyers have been waiting forever. Mm. Mm. They've been patient. Wow. You think we're going to saddle them with these costs as well? Right, right, no. Right. So, you know, Albert laughs at Angela and I, not in a mean way, but he's like, you guys might as well be a CDC at this point. You're so mission focused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see you make money. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe we will make money eventually. Eventually. But I think in order for us to pull this off, there's going to be a lot of hand stacking that's going to take, that we will need to take place from stakeholders, from the city. We will work ourselves until we are just. But Sheila, the whole deal with anything, it takes that. Yep. I mean, it's with anything. You'll be another story if you guys come out of this thing and say, oh, we built 300 homes and we made a million and a half dollars each and we did great. And you're so that, that's some remarkable shit. Like, hell, you really hit it. Right, right. The, the chances of coming out of it to say, man, we got out of it. We didn't make as much as we thought we made, but I still got me a nice house. She got a nice house on it. We know what we're going to do. Now we're going to phase two. Yep. Because development is long. Oh it's the long range game. Long. It's not sure. If, if, if you don't have the money, you're not a developer. That's why you're a contractor. All right. And, and it's just, a, and they say, well, what a developer, the developer pays for everything. And the developer takes the greatest risk Correct. because they are the last to be paid. Exactly. The contractor, the attorney, yep. the surveyor, yep. they are all paid. Yep. And projects die all the time. Yes, they do. And if the project doesn't move forward, those are sunk costs that Correct. we can't get back. And Correct. so someone said to me the other day, haven't you outgrown that role that you're in with Albert? Isn't it time for you to move on? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, first of all, I still do work for him. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, he has opened up his life, if you will, and said to me, the many goals that we have for you in terms of work. One goal is I want you to be economically free. Mm-hmm. So take 20, 30, 40 hours of my time right. and build this business. Right. You know? so." I don't know if we didn't have great support systems that we would be able to do this. Oh, man, if you didn't have that support, you wouldn't be doing it at all. You know? <laughs> but, I mean, let's so bullshit. Yeah. Because it takes that. And we I, just understand it takes that. You just heard my story. Yeah. yeah. You heard Angela's story. Oh, yeah. Teen mother, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. nothing oh, yeah. that we've ever encountered mm-hmm. has been as challenging as real estate development. Really? 
Oh my God. Well, I, you know what? That's, but but again, we talking millions and millions of dollars. That's why. And for the person who said that you ought to do, you have, you know, you didn't move on. You changed. You're not doing the same thing you were doing when you first met the guy. You guys not in the same position that you were when you first met him. Y'all relationship ain't the same as it was when you first got there. So you actually have moved on and you're doing something else. It's all. You just like what you're doing. So when anybody time you like doing what you're doing, it ain't work. So to you, it's not work. I'm just doing, hell, I'm going to, to a place that's going to allow me to build a soundstage if that's what I want or do. Most of the time, you're probably going to work, spending most of your time doing your development project. So you have moved on. All right, we're going to move on because okay. we need to talk about a couple of things before I get you out of here because okay. we've been talking offline. There was a few things I thought that was very important. We talk about the soundstage, and one of the things you are involved is with the Film Commission. That's right. And so to everybody who don't know, what is a soundstage and the importance of what was going on? My daughter, and she's one that has been trying to figure out what to do up at Severance for the longest. I mean, she comes up with these ideas all the time. Can we do this at Severance? Why don't they do this at Severance and this and that? And I tell her Severance got a a whole nother issue. So I'm going to have y'all hook up and talk about some stuff later. But tell her what was going on at Severance and why a soundstage is needed. So Russo Brothers gutted Walmart, the rest of Walmart, and they turned it into kind of a mock soundstage. A soundstage, you know, if you remember uh, movies where you see people in Hollywood and they're riding around in golf carts and they're going in these different buildings, Mm -hmm. those are soundstages. Truly, it's a box. Think of an airplane hangar Mm -hmm. uh, that is insulated for sound. And you can go inside and build sets. And you can turn off sounds so you can record. Okay. So that's very important. That's the infrastructure needed for an industry to be, for a state to have a good relationship with an industry. And so for the past few years, once the Russo brothers converted Walmart into, again, kind of a, a soundstage of sorts, mm-hmm. uh, they filmed the movie about the veteran. Oh, my goodness. Cherry. Cherry. Mm-hmm. That was a movie that they filmed Soup to Nuts. Mm. That's important because the Russo brothers love Cleveland. Mm -hmm. They're from here. Right. They have brought opportunities to film their projects here, Mm -hmm. but it was only for a little bit of the movie, right? Mm. They had to go take it back. Right. Uh, But we were able to experience some of that. But for them to be able to film a project soup to nuts here is huge. Mm -hmm. And they did that with Cherry. And since then, as that industry goes, whenever someone else touches something that has been renovated or created, they improve upon it. Mm-hmm. So the Russo brothers used it. Netflix used it. Mm-hmm. Amazon used it. Warner Brothers used it. I mean, they did White Noise here with Don Cheadle. Wow. That movie here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people, that, when you go to Severance and you see those white trucks, that's the industry up there. And to me, that is the industry sending on the signal. Mm-hmm. To Northeast Ohio, here's where we would, wouldn't mind being, right? Mm-hmm. Parking is massive. You need right. massive parking. What's there, though, is not ideal because it is not a purpose-built soundstage. Okay. That's different. Okay. A purpose-built soundstage is going to garner industry rates. They were paying nickels up at Severance, mm. right? And we do not have a purpose-built soundstage in Ohio. How big a space you need for a purpose-built soundstage? Well, it can be as big as you like, right? Mm -hmm. Tyler Perry has what? 
I don't know. Oh, that guy. Acres, yeah, he yeah, got you know, land, right. Land. It just depends on the availability of space and the market demand. Gotcha. Right now, we only have a $40 million incentive. Mm -hmm. That means that up to $40 million, films can come here and be reimbursed for a percentage of money that they spend here. But $40 million is not as competitive as some other states. Okay. And so that would make us kind of a tertiary market. We're not even a primary market or a secondary mm. market. Mm. We're a tertiary market. So in that scenario, it becomes a little risky to build a soundstage, right? Because you're building a specific building for a specific right. business. And if that incentive goes away, now you're stuck with this building. So what's know? the incentives that some of the cities that are getting, where they're kicking out? Well, let's talk about Georgia. Okay. So Georgia has an uncapped tax. That means if you, Kendall, take strategic moves, your production down to Georgia, and you say, I am going to make a $400 million movie, Georgia's going to say, cool, come on down. And we will reimburse you 30% of that $400 million that if you, for what you spend in the state of Georgia. And it's narrowly applied. Mm. Right. So it's on wages and mm -hmm. certain things. But you may say, well, Georgia, I'm going to spend four hundred million dollars and I'll take your 30 percent, except I don't need it applied to the wages because most of my wages are in the big stars and they're out of. Right. They, they can tell you well, you can sell the tax. Then. You can sell it. They are printing money in Georgia. That's why Tyler Perry studio down there. Printing money. And let me just tell you how that translates into realistic outcomes. Okay. The Marvel Avengers franchise, those movies, Black they couldn't get a green light in other states because of the financing like they did in Georgia. Mm. It is because of the uncapped tax that they were even able to bring us those productions. Wow. Because it made the numbers work. Wouldn't happen if it wasn't for Wouldn't it. happen. Wow. Production mm -hmm. is not too different from development. I want you to keep us in tune for what's happening with the projects. And if anybody interested in trying to get more information about Sheila Wright's projects, you can go into our comments section in my description. I got all the information that you can find out about Sheila Wright's project. And if you want to buy one of her houses, how you can do that as well. But for right now, Miss Sheila Wright, I'm going to give you this camera. You get to talk to my YouTube, my millions and millions of viewers out there that watches this oh, show. No, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> they just, oh, you can say whatever you like to say to them. Well, I would just say, one, keep watching this show. This man has found a secret sauce here and he's going to continue to blow up. So that's one thing. The other thing I would say is you heard a lot about my story, my business partner's story. I would just say don't quit. I know that sounds very simple, but whatever you are doing, the difference between those who make it and those who don't is just they don't give up. It's not that they don't fail. It's not that things don't right. blow up in their face. It's not that they don't lose. It's just that they get back up every single time. That's number one. And the other thing is, if you happen to live in Northeast Ohio or just Ohio, period, because it's not a Northeast Ohio thing, write to your local officials and tell them you want Ohio to fully engage in the production industry. There's an opportunity here. And things like technology, 
and jobs follows that industry. And we can have something really cool and sexy here in Ohio. And we're known for the arts anyway, but it's more than the arts, it's jobs. So please stay on top of that. If you're interested in those things, I have an organization that we've created called the Crew Foundation. Crew stands for Creating Real Entertainment Workforce. So you can go online and look up the crewfoundation.org. And that's an organization, the people we train have worked at Netflix, Amazon, Ralph Lauren. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is. My project is called the Allen Estate. So check it out in Huff. My real estate development project in Huff and other projects with frontlinedevelopmentgroup.com. www.frontlinedevelopmentgroup.com. You'll see uh, homes that we've developed. And there's some exciting things happening in Huff. We're part of what they call Dream 66. It's about a billion dollars worth of investment happening on a little mile, little less than about a mile stretch of land on East 66. And it's going to change the way the city relates because the economic activity is moving from north to south versus east to west. And we needed to break that up. So, Ken, thank you for letting me be here. Oh, thank you again, Sheila, for coming on our show. And stay tuned to our next show. See you then.